0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wiser Financial Advisor Show with Josh Nelson, where we get real, we get honest, and we get clear about the financial world and your money. This is Josh Nelson, founder and CEO of Keystone Financial Services. We love feedback and we'd love it if you would pass it on to me directly at josh at keystonefinancial.com. Also, please stay plugged in with us, get updates on episodes, and help us promote the podcast. And also subscribing to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Let the financial fun begin. everybody. Welcome to the Wiser Financial Advisor podcast, where we talk about your money and financial wisdom. That's making wise financial decisions based on experience, based on people who have walked before us. And from the Bible, King Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. This past week, I had a real treat. I had the opportunity to visit the Dave Ramsey Show in Nashville and got to meet with Dave and his team and hear him speak at his Building Wealth Live event, which was phenomenal. Dave's new book, Baby Steps Millionaires, came out this past week and is well on its way to the top of the bestsellers list. And Dave wrote the book following a Ramsey Solutions study, in fact, the largest study ever on millionaires. And that's saying something. Many of you have heard me talk about Dr. Stanley and Dr. Danko. Back in the early 80s, they did a study and they released a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Many of you have either heard of it or heard me talk about it in the past, but this is now the largest study ever ever on millionaires, the one that Ramsey Solutions just did. In the study, they found two overarching themes with these millionaires. Number one, they followed the baby steps, which is a very clear, simple, and highly effective way to get out of debt and build wealth. Now, these millionaires may not all have known that it was called the baby steps, but they followed the principles nonetheless. And number two, these millionaires in the study overwhelmingly believed that they were in control of their own destiny when it came to their finances and building wealth. They had hope. They actually had faith that they believed that. That it was possible. So I'll be sharing more in future episodes, but wanted to give a shout out to Dave Ramsey and his team for hosting me and for putting on an outstanding event. Today, we're going to talk about where to invest first for retirement. That's a question we get a lot as financial planners. But first, this episode is brought to you by Keystone Financial Services, a top wealth management firm based in the land of love, Loveland, Colorado. At Keystone Financial Services, we are here to provide unbiased financial advice and guidance. Our goal is to replace uncertainty with confidence and clarity when it comes to planning for your family's financial future. Take the guesswork out of your financial future today. Schedule a free initial conversation with one of our certified financial planners. Visit KeystoneFinancial.com. That's KeystoneFinancial.com. So as certified financial planners, we get asked this question a lot. There are a lot of kinds of different retirement accounts. So the question is, where should I start? I've got money now. I've got my debt paid off. And so forth. And we'll talk about that in a second. But people are kind of ready to start investing. And they're wondering, I hear about all these different things, which is better, my employer plan, 401k is 403b is the thrift savings plan, the 457 plan, depending on who you work for. There's all kinds of different plans that might be available through your employer or should I open up my own account, a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, or should I just bag all of these things and just invest in a taxable brokerage account? We're going to dig into this, but before investing for retirement, first of all, I think it is important to back up for a second because that's a common mistake, very common mistake I see that people make is that they try to jump ahead of themselves with regard to their planning and they try to start investing before they really have a good financial foundation. And there are a number of things that kind of get into that foundation. You want to make sure you're insured and so forth. But two of the things that we find These fall into those baby steps. Two things that we find that people want to kind of jump ahead of, they want to kind of skip ahead of, is establishing an emergency fund. And a fully funded emergency fund has three to six months' worth of living expenses. This is not your glamorous traveling and all that stuff, right? That you want to be able to do. This is just kind of surviving. Just if things got crazy, I could get by on this amount of money per month. So figure out what that is. That requires doing some budgeting. And I know that's not the most fun thing in the world for most people, but it's important to. Know what it is that you're spending and how much you really have to have, not just want to have, but have to have on a monthly basis. Take that amount, three to six months, and that's how much should be in your emergency fund, which should just be sitting in a savings account, a checking account, someplace really, really safe and liquid. And we also are going to be assuming as we get into this conversation that all of your debt is paid off, all of your debt except for the mortgage. That's a little bit different bird, but all of your consumer debt, that would be the Home Depot card, credit card, student loans. Any money that you owe to anyone, even if it's a family member, you want to make sure that that stuff is all completely paid off, except for the mortgage, before we move on to starting to invest. Now, I know that there's some people that would argue with me on this and say, wait a second, the Home Depot card is 0% interest for a certain number of months and so forth. This is a cash flow problem, not a math problem. So what we're trying to do here is follow steps that actually are proven to succeed, which means that getting nitpicky and trying to get into some of these things that don't matter all that much in the long run. I know that sounds crazy to some of you, but the interest on on debt doesn't really matter as much as getting the debt eliminated to begin with. So our objective is freeing up cash flow and giving you peace of mind. Remember that the borrower is servant to the lender, and that includes the mortgage, because we want to make sure that we're saving for retirement, for college. There are some other things that are important to do while you're paying off that mortgage, no later than 15 years. So make sure that it's a 15-year fixed mortgage, or if you've got a longer-term mortgage, do the math. You don't necessarily have to refinance your mortgage. It could be that we're just applying extra principal on that mortgage to get you paid off in 15. Key is automation, making sure you're not having to think about it every month to apply more principal on the mortgage. If you have to think about it, it's not going to happen. So, again, our objective is freeing up cash flow and giving you peace of mind. So once you have all that accomplished, which we teach that you should be investing 15% of your gross income as a starter. Now, down the road, we want to be putting away more than that for retirement. Yeah, probably. But to start, we want to be shooting for 15%. When I say gross income, that's your pre-tax income. In other words, if we're thinking of what your salary is for the year, or if you're paid hourly, how much do you make in a year? If somebody asked that question, you'd be looking at that amount and applying 15% Of that. So a pre tax income number, 15% of that going towards retirement. Now, our rule is kind of simple when it comes to figuring out where to put the money first. Match beats Roth, and Roth beats traditional. So let's unpack this a little bit. Why does match always beat everything else? Well, match is 100% return on your money. When you think about that, that's free money. If your employer offers a matching contribution, and statistically, well over half of employers match contributions for their employees if they have a retirement plan, most common that we see is 3%. Sometimes we'll see more than that, maybe four or 5%. We've seen some employers be really generous and match up to 10% of the employee's contribution. So whatever that is for you, don't count that into the 15% of your income. The reason why is that that match is not guaranteed. What happens to those matching contributions from employers when we go into a recession and things aren't so rosy on the balance sheet? Well, employers are trying to figure out ways to cut expenses and sometimes they lay off employees and all other kinds of stuff. But that one, I've seen a target on matching contribution time and time again that employers will suspend that. So it's better, in other words, to get used to that 15% of your income going away. You don't see it. It's just gone. You just spend what's left. Also, be aware of a couple of things. Be aware of eligibility. When you start with an employer, sometimes you're not eligible to contribute right away. A lot of changes that have happened the last couple of years, some good, some bad. Just because your employer has a retirement plan, oftentimes there is a waiting period. Sometimes not, but oftentimes there will be a three-month, six-month, or maybe even one-year waiting period where you're not eligible to contribute. Also, be aware that there are vesting schedules typically with employer plans. Oftentimes, employers will put a vesting schedule in place for those matching dollars, and that means that that money is not really yours until you're with that employer for a certain number of years. There's different vesting schedules out there that's kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking about today, but just be aware of that. Sometimes people try to say, no, I'm getting this matching contribution. I want to count that so I can use this money elsewhere, but just be aware that money's kind of at risk. That's money that's not guaranteed to you, at least up front. So Often, employers won't match right away. Uh, Perhaps after you've worked more than a year, you probably are going to be eligible to contribute towards the plan, and your contributions and the matching both will become 100% vested if you're there long enough. One other nuance about matching contributions is that if you leave the employer early, you do forfeit those matching contributions. In other words, you kind of lose the money and it goes back into the plan for other participants. Of course, if you stick around and a bunch of people leave, that actually might benefit you. But just be aware that if you job hop quite a bit, you might actually be losing a lot of those matching dollars by making those job changes frequently. One question that comes up is, what if my employer plan just stinks? It's just terrible. The investment options are awful, and the technology is difficult to use, and the statements aren't clear, and everyone in the company says they don't contribute because the plan stinks. Well, does it stink so bad that it's worth giving up 100% return on your money? I'm not saying put all your money into the plan. If it's a terrible plan, then do enough to get the matching contribution and then invest elsewhere with your other dollars. Let's take an example here. Oftentimes, what we'll see is a dollar-for-dollar contribution up to a certain percentage. So if a company does a dollar-for-dollar match up to 3%, that means that that's a 3% match. They're giving you 100% match, in other words, on your money up until that 3%. (laughs) Thank you. The <laughs> cat Some other ones might have a little bit of a different schedule, and they might say that they do 100% match up to the first 3%, and then they match 50% of the next 2%. Well, that would be 4%. Just keep in mind what percentage you need to be putting in to make sure you get those free dollars. And then if the plan stinks, or we haven't figured out another place to put that money, it could be that we're just putting in the matching dollars and nothing else. Now, I mentioned before, match beats Roth and Roth beats traditional. The reason why we like Roth IRAs overwhelmingly as financial planners is that what you're doing, essentially, when you're figuring out where do I put the money, Roth versus traditional, you're deciding when do I want to pay these taxes, either now or in the future. We've done a whole episode on this in the past, so feel free to go find that one for a more detailed conversation about that. But Roth beats traditional in the sense that when you're prepaying those dollars, you're kind of taking the pain today, right? You're not getting a tax deduction today. So when you're putting your dollars into that account, you're feeling 100% of it. That's 100% money that's just kind of gone for right now, and you'll see it again because it's still your money. It's still in your account. But in the long run, what happens is that people tend to forget about that anyway. Whatever they get up front, they kind of forget about it. And where it shows up later is if those dollars were traditional dollars, meaning you took the tax write-off up front, that means that someday when it comes out, you will be taxed on that. With a Roth, you do just the opposite. You put your dollars in. There's no tax benefit today. But then someday when it comes out, it's going to be a tax-free distribution as long as you play by the rules. And there's a bunch of rules on that. But the way that the Roth actually beats the traditional over time, I think, is the fact that over the years, what happens in that account, unless you're just a terrible investor and it never grows, what ends up happening is that the dollars accumulate, not just because you're putting money in, but it also grows. You should get some level of growth. And if it's there for a long time, it could be a lot of growth that ends up accumulating. Well, with a traditional account, those dollars accumulate tax deferred. That's a good thing. But then they're taxable when they come out versus with a Roth, the dollars go in and then all of the growth over time ends up being tax-free. Again, as long as you play by the rules when it comes to distributing those funds later on, you should get a tax-free distribution. And so would your spouse if you die, and so would your kids if you both die, they would also get it income tax-free. So it kind of looks attractive from that standpoint. Why not bite the bullet early on and take the tax hit right now and then get the tax benefit that would be huge over the years in tax-free growth? Clearly, there's an advantage of time here. If you run the numbers, there's big advantage of time. If you're younger, especially, Roth really, really looks attractive because most likely you're not in a huge tax bracket right now anyway. And later on, those are going to be your higher income years and maybe tax rates have gone up. That's what we're worried about a little bit over the years is that tax rates might go up because historically they're low right now. And regardless of your political affiliation, I think you'd agree with me that our, our debt levels in this country have gotten pretty crazy. We've got a lot of stuff we've got to pay for. And a lot of stuff like Social Security, Medicare, things that aren't even funded for the future, those dollars have to come from someplace, and that's probably going to come in some part, at least from tax increases, meaning that, hmm, if I could pay the taxes today at today's rates, and tax rates go up in the future, and the Roth dollars are tax-free, couldn't that be attractive? Something to think about. So, what we might be doing here, in other words, is we might be doing some combination depending on your employer plan and your individual situation. We might be putting some dollars into our employer plan, getting the matching contributions, depending on if they offer a Roth or traditional 401k or both. Ideally, if they give you both or a traditional or Roth 403b type of account, we'd kind of have to look at your individual plan because your employer dictates what options you've got inside that plan. Thank <laughs> you. And believe it or not it's not really your account it's their account at Fidelity or Vanguard or wherever that account is sitting it's really your employer account it's their plan in other words and you may have dollars in there it may be that you're eligible to take those dollars out at some point but just know that they control that plan so they do control what options you've got inside there including Roth or traditional maybe we'd have to look at it also looking at what investment options they've got and fees and expenses and how that thing is managed so we'd have to take a look at that outside of an employee- plan, you can do either a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. And and it's a maybe, by the way. I always want to qualify that because there are certain income levels that are required and that you go over, you start to lose eligibility for some of these things. So we'd really have to look at your individual situation and look at what your income sources are, how much you make, how much your spouse makes, what your employers offer, Uh, say if it's a husband wife, what your employers offer for plans. So we'd really want to fine tune that to make sure that you're getting the Most bang for your buck. Also, age matters. I think it does matter because there are requirements on these things and there's also waiting periods. Generally speaking, you have to wait until age 59 and a half until you start drawing dollars out of either one of these plans, either Roth or traditional There's another rule. Currently, by age 72, you have to start taking money out of traditional IRAs and 401ks, even if you don't want to. And that's called required minimum distributions. Yeah, there's some legislation out there that would raise that age. It used to be 70 and a half. Now it's 72. So we'll keep an eye on this. But that doesn't look attractive either. Later on, we've got a lot of clients that are over that age that are being forced to take required distributions every year, but only on traditional assets, Roth IRAs do not have a required minimum distribution unless you've inherited it from a non-spouse. That's a little bit of a different story. You actually do have the requirement that that comes out within 10 years of their death if they weren't your spouse. So if you've inherited it, let's talk. There should be some different rules associated with that. One thing that I also want you to think about is, again, the direction of tax rates. I think that really matters. So there could be some wisdom in just thinking through. If we've got some money, we could pay the taxes now. We're really not going to miss it. Maybe it makes sense. Literally over the years, I've had probably tens of thousands of conversations with people. I've never had a client that contributed or converted to a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k and later regretted it in the long run, even if they had to pay some money. In some cases, they do conversions from a traditional to Roth and ouch, maybe they had to pay five, 10, 20 grand that year to be converting their traditional to Roth money. But later I just haven't had anybody that's come back and said, you know what, I shouldn't have done that. Everybody likes it over time. It's worth the pain in most circumstances. Obviously, it's your money. So you You've got to make that decision. And if it's just too painful to put all of the dollars into Roth, then do some of each. Just have some of each so you've got some tax diversification because tax rates likely will go up over time. It may not be on the doorstep right now, but eventually I think we're going to see some higher tax rates. So tax diversification will definitely help you over time because it gives you that flexibility in retirement of being able to take money from either source, having the flexibility of not having to draw as much money out every year when you're in your retirement years. Now, one other thing I did want to mention is that we often see people leave a string of old retirement plans at past employers. Sometimes it's just easier because people are busy and they're changing a job and they've got a lot of other things to think about. Sometimes people just kind of forget, or it's just easier not to do anything with the old retirement plan money. This is more and more common. People are changing employers. And when they change employers, they're probably leaving some kind of benefits behind, mostly retirement plans. Oftentimes when people join us, when they say, hey, we want to hire you as our financial planner, that's one thing that they tell us is, is there a way to simplify this? Is there a way to start pulling this stuff together? And there is. Actually, many of these accounts can be consolidated, it can be simplified, and it also can help you from an aggregation standpoint. Sometimes, from a cost standpoint, it can actually help to put things together as well. Keep that in mind that if you've got older retirement plans, old stuff that you've kind of contributed to over time, it's important to look at that too and look at the whole picture, which we enjoy doing as financial planners. Make sure you reach out to us. If this is stuff that's confusing to you, or maybe it's not confusing, more often is the case that people really don't have the time. They've got a lot of other interests besides financial planning. That's just not how they want to spend their time. That's not how they want to spend their retirement. In a lot of cases, or their years leading up to retirement, we've all got the same number of hours in a day. And that's why we hire people to do stuff. And of course, we want to hire good people for something like this. It's important to hire really good people to look at managing your wealth and making financial decisions. And as Dave's study before showed, it really is key to be following the right steps, have a process, and be very disciplined about it. So to sum up, think about retirement. Remember, our target is 15% initially. At least 15% of your gross income is going away for retirement. And then being thoughtful about what options you've got. Match beats Roth, and Roth beats traditional In my book. So, with that, I hope that helps you a lot today. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions because this stuff can be confusing. We're more than happy to take a bit of time to visit with you or a family member or a coworker that really wants to walk through this. If you like the Wiser Financial Advisor, if you're finding it helpful, please click subscribe on your favorite podcast service. Wherever you're listening to this, it helps us out. Also, give us a rating and share the episodes. More than anything, I think it's word of mouth that is really promoting the Wiser Financial Advisor. We're continuing to see growth, and it's been a lot of fun. Also, give us feedback on any speakers or topics that you would like to hear. Again, easiest way to do that is just going out to keystonefinancial.com, and you can find all of our stuff, including contact information. Information on that page. Share this along and anything that we can do to support you, please let us know. Have an outstanding week and God bless. This episode has been prepared for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and accounting advisors. Investment advisory services offered through Keystone Financial Services and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.